0: Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. So let's pull out our Bibles. We're going to dig into God's Word again this morning. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 14. And I want to read this first. You're going to hear a story of a really sort of difficult time. And and this is just really one vignette out of Paul's first missionary journey. He's become a believer in Christ. The former Saul, who was a persecutor of Christians, has now become one who preaches the gospel of Christ. And he's found his vocation destination. He's found his true place of calling in his life. And, um, and I want you to listen to this, because you might, as you listen to this, realizing Paul's found his true place of calling, you might think to yourself, wow, why does this have to be so tough? If this is his place of true calling. So, in Acts chapter 14, we'll begin reading at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, and what what he had done, by the way, is he had healed a man who had been lame from birth, and we'll come back to that. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. And then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. I went over a little bit there, sorry. Let me, uh, just for those of you who may be new to this series today, talk a little bit about where we're at with vocation, destination, what that is. And I'm just going to make a quick hit on that, and then we'll progress into a place where I carry my cross, which is a lesson for today. But this series is really about our calling in life, how do we discover where God has placed his calling on our hearts and minds in life, that, that special place that God has called to us, or in some cases, as we talked about several weeks, how can we even discover God's calling in the little things that we're already doing, the, the, the daily affairs that seem so mundane, uh, so normal and regular that, that we, we just usually, day to day, don't see God's calling there. How do we discover that, either in finding that place in our life or finding God in all the little things we're already doing? And that's not just, by the way, in your workday life, although we've talked a lot about that during this series. We're also talking about those other places where you sense God's calling on your life. For example, that special person in your life that you're seeing as your partner, uh, your, your husband, your wife, the kids that God has brought into your life, that that you're saying to yourself, God has called me to this person, to, to love them for the rest of my life. God has placed that calling on my heart. God has called me to love my kids and take care of them and raise them as we just talked about in this baptism. And then there's also the calling that you experience here at church. We talked a couple weeks ago about church being a battleship and everybody's got a role and, and, um, and, and this is an, an important role that we play in life and how do I discover where my place is as I try to serve God together with my, my uh, fellow believers here at, at Crosswalk? Our vocation destination, that place that God is calling us to end up in life so that we can best serve him in the big things and in the little things. Today, we want to talk about something that's really near and dear to my heart, something that really God has led me to discover, although it was there in the Bible all along, through many experiences in my life. It's still taken me a while to, to, uh, to get even to the point where I'm at today, and I still don't claim to fully grasp and understand it. But here's the thing that we often hear about trying to discover God's will and God's calling, that one of the ways of doing that is is God opening doors, right? You've probably heard that, that, that it, you can kind of know if God wants you to do a certain thing or answer a particular calling. If, if God seems to be opening doors for you, and then if he's closing doors and, and kind of making it more smooth sailing, making it easier for you to, to get into that and follow that calling in life, that that's a sign that that's where God wants you to go. So I want to ask you the question today, is that really true? Really right, And I think you're going to find that the answer is a little bit surprising. And especially if you think back to the story that we just read. In other words, I'm going to say to you today that that might not be a foolproof way to find out if that's where your vocation destination lies. Because sometimes God is going to put challenges and obstacles and difficulties and even suffering in your life as you answer what is his true calling on your life think back to what we just read when when paul discovered that his calling in life was be, was to be the apostle to the gentiles did all of a sudden it become smooth sailing for him did doors fly open in every place that he went And all the other doors go closed so that he knew, oh, yeah, this is really it. Well, I think we're going to discover today that that's not always the way it works. And that's what sometimes makes it a little bit tougher to find our true calling in life. Let me tell you a personal story. When I was about to graduate from the seminary, about a month before I was going to graduate, one day I was in class. I remember this as clear as day. Uh, it's etched on my memory. The president of the seminary walked into our classroom while the professor was teaching, and he said, I have an announcement to make. And he was a very serious look on his face. And he said, gentlemen, you're about a month away from graduation. You're going to find out what your assignments are, where you're going to first serve as a pastor. And I want you to know today that there are four or five potential assignments to be a pastor or a missionary overseas. And I want you to start thinking about that. If you're married, go home and talk to your wives about it and kind of get a sense in this next month because on the day when the calls or, or the assignments are given, you're only going to have a short period of time to consider whether you want to go or not. So think about it now. So I got so pumped and excited. It was I was thinking to myself, man, this is what I really have wanted. It felt so Right to think that one day I could maybe go and be a missionary somewhere on another part of the world. And I got home, of course, I was all, thinking about it all the way home. And what, what am I going to say to Julie? And, and of course, I, I started talking to her. And what do you think, honey? And of course, her answer to me was, no. No, it wasn't, actually. It was, it was exactly the opposite. I'm teasing. She actually was probably as, as excited, if not more excited, than I was to go and do this. And then, of course, you're thinking, well, I'm excited to do this. Julie's excited to do this. This is like a sign from God. The doors are flying open, right? And then a month passes, and... What we term call day, when we receive our assignments, our divine call from God to go to our first assignment in ministry comes, and the day passes by, and there's no call overseas for me. And I'm thinking to myself, God, you know, why why did you put such a a desire in my heart to do this, and now that's not going to happen? And, of course, I didn't know where else I was going to go yet because those assignments would be, those would be handed out the next day. About eight o'clock that night, Julie and I were in our apartment, and the phone rang. And all the assignments I knew had been handed out, but on the end of the line was the head of world missions. And he said, Jeff, I need you to come in, drive into the seminary, I need to talk to you. And I I tried to pry some information out of him, like, what's this about? You know, I know you're the head of world missions, what's going on? And he wouldn't answer a question. So he said, bring your wife. Then I knew, okay, this is important. We went in, and, uh, and he said, uh, one of the other gentlemen has, has had to step aside, and, and he cannot accept the call. There's a call now to Mwembeji in Zambia in Central Africa, and we want you to consider it. And he said, the Holy Spirit's going to give you about an hour to decide. (laughs) So Julie and I, fortunately, had thought about this. It probably didn't even take us that full hour to say, yeah, this is what we want to do, right? And I'm telling you, from that moment on, we felt so at peace. This was so right. It just, and everything fell into place. And, uh... Six months later, uh, Julie was pregnant, so we didn't head to Africa right away. She had Abby, our daughter, first. And then six months later, we arrived in Zambia, and everything was flowing. And um, it just, it was good. I, I knew that I had found my calling. And then the stuff started to happen. First of all, I got sick, all the new Viruses and parasites and infections that you could get one after another. And I was thinking to myself, man, God, didn't you call me over here to to teach and help people in the villages? And I can't even get out of bed. What's going on here? And that continued for about a year until all the different bugs kind of worked their way through my system. I remember uh, talking a lot about body fluids that first year. That's kind of gross. Um and then it wasn't just that. I had to learn a language to be able to do this job. Africans in villages didn't know English very well, and I struggled. In fact, I struggled so bad that one day the missionary who was my teacher called me in and he said, Jeff, you're man, I just gotta tell you you're not getting the job done. Y- you gotta work harder, you gotta pound it more, you gotta get out in the village more and uh, if you don't get this it's gonna, it, you're not going to be able to 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 hang out and be here wow that was hard to hear like i came all the way over here and god you didn't give me the ability to learn the language <sighs> and then came the two car accidents cuz i'm learning how to drive on the other side of the road it's a former english colony and uh, one day I pull out onto a major street in Lusaka, Zambia. Somehow I don't see the car coming from here, and bam, big crash. I don't even have a Zambian driver's license yet, which, by the way, took me four attempts to pass the test. <laughs> and, and so here. All this stuff is happening, and then after that accident, I'm in the bush taking one of the preachers home, and it's on you know two tracks with grass growing up in the middle, and I don't see a stump, and bam, high center that van right on that stump, and both of us go forward. My head goes through the windshield, makes a nice little pockmark. If any of you ever wonder why I'm a little off, <laughs> never been quite the same since then. Why is it that we can sometimes sense sense such peace in regard to our calling? Like, yes, God, this is this is it, And, and yet we're being body slammed by all these things, all these challenges, all this suffering, and we're thinking to ourselves, God, this this is where you've called me. This is the job, this is the person, these are the kids, this is the church. And yet, while we've got peace in our heart about that, there's turmoil. Can't learn the language. You're sick all the time. Your new nickname is Crash Gun. That was my nickname for a while. Well, I want you to write something down on your, on your notes. Here's an irony that we find out from the scriptures. An irony of our vocation destination of our calling it is often a place of inner peace and outer turmoil. Sometimes, even the inner peace goes away for a time. I'll, I'll share very honestly with you that when I was, my new name was Crash Gun, I began to wonder if I really should be there. And not just that, the, the illness and the learning of the language, I, it kind of knocked me off my pegs for a little bit. Like, is this God, is this really my vocation destination? Is this really where you want me? Now, I'll bet many of you have gone through or are going through something similar to this, right? Where there's maybe an inner peace, a feeling like, yes, this is where God wants me, but man, outside there's all this turmoil and finally, it gets to the point where you, even on the inside, begin to go, is this really, God, the place that you want me to be in my life? Is this really the person that you want me to be with? Are these really my children, God? Or, you know, and and how do we deal with that? And that's what we want to talk about today is the fact that Our place of calling is also often a place where God is going to ask us to carry a cross. Let me define what a cross is. A cross is suffering or obstacles or things that get in our way when we're trying to serve God. It's not just your everyday garden variety hurts and pains that come at us because of the world. We live in a sinful world where there's going to be suffering and pain and hurt. This is the suffering and the pain and the hurt that we specifically go through because we want to serve God in our daily life and all the big things and the little things. And bam, one thing after another comes hitting us. Or we want to love our spouse. And you can just sense that there's something there coming at you constantly. Or we want to serve our church. And yet, why are there all these obstacles? Why why does, at times, even my brother and sister in Christ not seem to get me or hurt me? Why all these crosses, in other words? And in fact, here's the thing that I really want you to understand. At a deeper level. Level, what Paul is going to teach us today from this story from Acts 11 is that there is, in essence, only one calling in all of our lives. And that one calling is to, to have our destination be the foot of the cross, the foot of Christ's cross. But how are we, people? The, the truth about us is that it's often only under duress that we'll take that stroll, that walk to the cross of Christ. It's only when God pushes us at times to the point of surrender. Like, God, I give up. I cannot do this anymore. That point where you say it's too late, this can't be fixed, that you finally, that I finally will go to the cross of christ and say god i can't do it will you please will you forgive me of the sins and the guilt and shame that that i've done to create my own crosses will you forgive this other person that that seems to be persecuting me that i they're putting all kinds of crosses in my path you see here's the thing for us to really understand the one true vocation destination is Christ's cross and the mercy, forgiveness, grace, hope, and peace that come only as an outflow of Jesus' cross? Think about the baptism that we had today. In essence, John, Crystal, and Alicia came to the foot of the cross today. Wanted, they told us, to come to the foot of the cross because. He Here is Christ. Here is his love and mercy and forgiveness. And how much we need that. That's what drives and motivates and powers our entire life. And you've been there with them. As you confessed your sins today, you were there with them. When you were baptized, you were there with them. And how important that is. So, do you expect to carry crosses in your life? Here's what I want you to know. There's three common crosses that God may ask you to bear, and they're represented in this story that we read earlier from the book of Acts. I want to go back to Acts chapter 14. You notice what happens? Paul comes to a little town on his first trip, a town named Lystra. And there's a man who's crippled there. He's been lame from birth, the Bible tells us. And Paul is given the power to look at him directly in the eyes and say to him, stand up on your feet, and amazingly, he does. And the people of Lystra are amazed. Well, you and I would be amazed if that would happen. And they were so amazed, in fact, that they began to think that Paul and his companion Barnabas were Zeus- Zeus for Barnabas, and Hermes, Zeus's messenger, for Paul. They're gods, in other words. Now, part of this emerges because there was an old myth in the culture of Lystra and the town surrounding that the gods had previously come. And that on that occasion, when the gods had come down from heaven, these Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, that the people had not recognized them. And only two very poor peasants, had really seen and understood that this was Zeus and Hermes. And they took them into their home, they were hospitable, they treated them kindly, and of course, what did Zeus and Hermes do? Well, the rest of the town who had ignored them, they got ignored, but these two peasants, this husband and wife, got richly rewarded. They became wealthy, and the rest of their life went beautifully smoothly, health, wealth, and prosperity, And the legend continued when they died, they were not buried, but they were turned into these mighty oak trees that became sort of the center of the region that everybody knew. Well, guess what? These villagers did not want to miss their good opportunity that clearly was back. This time, they were not going to ignore the fact that Zeus and Hermes were walking around them. This time, they weren't going to miss out on the health and the wealth and the prosperity, and so they come rushing out. Look, they're back. And of course, Paul is deeply dismayed when he sees this because he's come to point them to Jesus Christ, the true God, not to be treated himself as a God. And he runs out into the crowd as they're bringing up bulls to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas with garland wreaths of flowers hung around their necks. And he says, stop, you guys. Don't do this. I am, I'm not a God. I'm a human being just like you are. Don't do this. And so barely, it says, verse 18, even with all these words, Even though he says, the true God is the one that I'm coming here to tell you about. The one who's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food, fills your hearts with joy. Notice what it says. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Okay, so on this day, Paul and Barnabas are gods. Now, take a look at verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. I'm surprised that there's not another word in there. Won the fickle crowd over. Because imagine this. One day, Paul and Barnabas are gods, and what does it say? This crowd, once won over, stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. What? What? Man, think about that popularity poll rating and how quickly it plunged, right? One day, Paul and Barnabas are gods, and the next day, they're goats, ready to be sacrificed themselves. Can you relate to that? Some of you are in school. One day, you ace the test. You're walking around with that test, A on it. All your classmates are going, when did you turn so brilliant, dude? And a week later, you hit that chemistry test, and uh, the grade doesn't turn out so good, and you're the goat. At your work, you come up with the brilliant idea, right? And your boss is saying, oh, my goodness, this is going to make the company so much money. Thank you, thank you. You're you're going to take customer service to a whole new level. And a week later, you walk in, and your boss has that look on his face and his hands on his hips, and he says, will you come back and talk to me in in my office? And you always know what talk to me in my office means, right? You feel like you're walking to the principal's office. Or at home, right? One day, we guys, we though we ace the honeydew list. And the next day we forget about the honeydew list because the big game is on, right? Constantly we are moving in our lives from God to goat. And that is a cross that we are also going to bear for Christ as we try to serve God at work, at school, in our homes, at our church, Know that this is one cross, just like Paul, that you are going to bear. Know that at times people are going to think way more highly of you than you deserve. I know that happens to me, and sometimes they're not going to give you the credit you deserve either. You're going to go from God to goat. And I want you to notice something even the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ Himself, went from God to goat. Take a look at your crosswalk notes, top of the back. Some time after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. They began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Notice capital P, the prophet, the Messiah. They're seeing all these miracles. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They want to make him the king. Get Herod out of here. This is our new king. That's the beginning of the chapter. Same chapter. Fast forward to verse 41, and what do you read? At this, the Jews began to grumble about him. That's Jesus, the same guy that they wanted to be the king a moment ago, now they're grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And then by the time you get to the end of the chapter, this is one single chapter, by the time you get to the end, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. In one chapter, John chapter 6, you can read the whole thing yourself if you want. Jesus goes from God to goat. So if Jesus bore that cross for us because he was on his calling in life, because to be the savior of the world was his vocation destination, don't we know that we're going to have to bear a similar cross too? That as we seek to serve God in all the big and little things in life, that there are going to be days when we're going to be God's in quotation marks. People are going to think so highly of us, and there are going to be days when we are going to be goats. And I'm telling you, that roller coaster ride can be tiring. Here's the answer. It's not about a popularity poll. What it is is to understand that God's opinion of you, despite what people think, God's opinion never changes. Because when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, as we said here at this baptism, you become God's child. Whether you've done everything well today, you're still God's child. Whether you've done everything poorly and sinned greatly today, you're still God's child. As long as you stay trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your status, your name, Your reputation before God stays the same, child of God. Is that not amazing? And how even keel and solid is that compared to, well, one day all my coworkers think I'm a giant, and the next day they think I'm a big dud. Turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes to that cross where he makes you God's son, God's daughter. So here's cross number one. One moment I'm a God, the next moment... goat people are not going to be consistent in their opinion of us as it says on the on the front people are not consistent in their approval ratings but god is look to him let's talk about cross number two do you notice what happens here as paul's going around to these to these towns he's trying to teach them the truth and everywhere he goes, he's being resisted. These people are following him around. They're winning the crowd over. Why do they do that so easily? Do you, ever, do you ever ask yourself, how does that happen that this crowd swings so easily? There's a truth behind that. There's a reason why in verse 21 and 22, as you read there, you notice that Paul goes back to the same congregations that he's just been kicked out of. And it says that, they return to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Remain true. Why does he have to give them that encouragement? Simple reason. We people often are more comfortable believing falsehoods and lies than we are the truth. It's hard to believe that's really real, but it is. In fact, even in the business world, this is recognized. There's a book written by Jim Collins called Good to Great. It's a major hit in the business world. And one of the major chapters of Jim Collins' book, the title of it is Face the Brutal Facts. Now, why does he have to write that chapter in this business book? Why does he have to say, with, a, with an entire chapter, Face the Brutal Facts? Why? Because we'd rather not face the brutal facts. We'd rather believe pleasantries and niceties. We'd we'd rather believe the myths. And even outside of the church, that is recognized and realized. And certainly when we're in the church, we, we recognize that part of being sinners is our attraction to myths. Look at what it says in Second Timothy. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. As we go out to serve our calling in life, we want others to know about Jesus. We want others to know that steadiness that comes from being a child of God that we have. We want others to know about the forgiveness that flows from the cross of Christ. But you have to know that one of the crosses that you will bear as you take this message out to others is that you're going to be competing against other ideas that are out there. I I go to the gym, and there's a magazine rack at my gym, and, and all the, the daily magazines, even the more philosophical ones like Oprah Magazine, O Magazine, are, are well-thumbed through. Right? I, I try to look at Oprah Magazine once in a while. You know, I'm a big Oprah fan. I, I really am. I do like her. But of course, not everything that she teaches is right. And, and so I look at that and I think, man, people are, are bathing themselves in all these ideas. And then I think to myself, There's no Bible in this rack. And I I wonder if people would take a Bible out of that rack the way they take this magazine out of the rack and read it and find out what is really true from God, what God has revealed to us to be true. Maybe one of these days I'll take some Bibles and put them in that rack and we'll see what happens. You see, here's the thing you need to know. One of the crosses you're going to bear is people will believe other things that are not in the Bible. And, and as Paul did, he went back and strengthened, that's what you're going to have to do too. That's what I'm going to have to do. That's what we as a church are going to have to do. Here's cross number two. I will face myths, rumors, lies, and fads as I state God's eternal truth. Now, isn't that awesome that we have an eternal truth to rest our life on? Just like that steady, I'm a child of God that flows from the cross of Christ. The truth that we put our faith in, not a fad. It's not an up and down thing. It's God's eternal truth. Final cross. I want you to do this fill-in. Expectations are critical. And this final cross is all about expectations. And I want you to expect this. One of the reasons that your calling in life is going to present difficulties, outer challenges, is that God has designed our lives to be a test. And that even God is desiring at times to stretch your faith for the good and the strengthening of your faith. Think about Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham is called the man of faith. So strong in his faith that he's used by Paul in the book of Romans as the model of faith, a guy to look up to. But do you remember what happened to Abraham? For years, he was promised, I'm going to give you a son. And through this son, Actually, you're going to have so many descendants that you're not going to be able to count them. They're going to be as many as the sand on the shore, as many as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed that promise, and year went by, two years went by, five years went by, decades went by. No, son. What would you do in that situation? I think I'd have some doubts. After Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were no longer physically able anymore to have children. Isaac was born. Isn't that just like God? Way beyond the last moment. Way, way when it's impossible for God to answer the prayer because he's God. He does it anyway. And I see that happen so many times in my life. Where I'm like, God, I know. You've said no. I'll move on. I get you. And then it seems like the day after I say that, boom, there it is. You see, that's because life is a test. God is testing, strengthening, stretching our faith. Look what it says in Genesis 22 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Here I am. He, that is Abraham, replied, i bet Abraham was thinking later on, I wish I hadn't said, here I am. Because you know what God is about to ask him to do here in Genesis chapter 22? He's about to ask him to take that boy, Isaac, that he has waited so long for, who is now only 12 years old, and put him on an altar and sacrifice him. Yeah, sacrifice him. And Abraham has got to be going, what? I waited until it was no longer physically possible for me and Sarah to have this child, the child you promised, the child you said would bring many descendants, and through those descendants, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and now you're telling me you want me to put him to death? And literally, Abraham's hand is right here with the knife. Isaac on an altar... And God says, stop, and holds Abraham back. Testing Abraham's love, who is really first in your life, Abraham, this boy or me? And then God provides a lamb for the sacrifice beyond the last moment. One of the crosses we will bear as we seek to serve God is this. We will be required to face our fears as we are called to carry out our life's purpose. And we will be tested. And that testing involves facing up to what you're really afraid of. This business of finding our vocation destination is complex. And here's what I want you to go home with today. Sometimes, sometimes the doors are not going to fly open. Sometimes they're going to seem to be closing right in your face. And just like Paul had to do here, you're going to have to kick those doors down to go to your vocation destination. Sometimes at work, It's going to seem like God is saying, you need to get out of here when God wants you to stay. Sometimes at work, it's going to seem like he's saying, stay when he wants you to get out of here. You got to pray. You got to ask for wisdom and discernment. You got to know that life is somewhat about bearing crosses. And what I just said about work applies to school. What applies to work and school applies to your home. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be tough times. There's going to be crosses to bear, doors closing. Doors that you're going to maybe have to kick down with the strength of God. And here at church too, here's the deal. I'm going to remind you of it one more time. God puts that pressure on us for a very good reason. Because the one destination he wants to make sure you go to and I go to every day. Remember what that is? the cross of Christ. Because when you're ready to give up, when you are beyond pressured, when you don't know what else to do, that's the destination that you need to go to. And let Christ's cross carry you, strengthen you, forgive you, give you life and hope and courage. Take a look at your next steps in the crosswalk. Will you do this this week? Take some time this week to just meditate and evaluate. Am I ready to wait for the crown? You see, we always want the victory to happen right now. We, we want to be crowned king today. No more obstacles, no more crosses. Please, God. So I'm asking you, are you ready to wait for the crown and carry the cross? Secondly, pray. Pray. Ask God for courage, strength, wisdom to patiently prevail. When you're carrying a cross, it's heavy. I almost thought about asking somebody to come up here and carry that cross a little distance. It's heavy. And so will your daily crosses be. And then meditate on and memorize Acts 14.22. Here's what I want you to do. Circle this verse right now. Take your pen. Acts 14.22 says this, and this says it all. This is the heart of today's message. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, it's so true. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of of God, to enter your kingdom, Lord. There are crosses to bear when we are attempting to to find our vocation destination, to find that place of our true calling in life. And Lord, we admit to you sometimes we, we don't want to carry any more crosses. We want the crown today. We want to be king. And, and the crosses are heavy, and we get tired of carrying them. Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts and do two things strengthen us and give us courage and power to keep keep going, to, to persevere. But also this, Lord, that you would direct every heart and mind in this room to your one true vocation destination, to the foot of Jesus' cross, that daily we walk there in repentance and in hope for forgiveness and in seeking the power that comes from Christ's cross. Lord, bless us in this way we go out into our week this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.